So welcome to the next episode of the Cam Marketing Save the Planet podcast. And today in this episode, Gemma and I are delighted to be joined by Holly McElhone, who is the Press and Communications Manager at Make My Money Matter. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. Hi, it's great to meet you both. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great, great, great to have you here. So um, we've been wanting to speak to you guys for a while because we've been following the work that you do. Uh, we're we're big fans. We've signed up to all of your campaigns and, and we share things as much as we possibly can. So for those of the, the listeners that don't really understand what Make My Money Matter uh, is all about, can you give us a bit of a heads up about what you do and what uh, what it is that you're uh focusing on? Yeah, so Make My Money Matter is a climate finance campaign. We were founded by Richard Curtis um, in 2020. So if you've seen Love Actually, Notting Hill, all those great films, um, Richard has had a long history with comic relief, um, make poverty history and other forms of activism. And then various sort of um, instances, conversations with his kids sort of led him to care more about climate. And then as a result, led him to found Make My Money Matter. And we are focused on basically getting the trillions circulating in pension schemes and sort of accounted for by the global banking system um, to move away from, you know, investments or loans that are going to really damage the future of our planet. So you might be, you know, we all have a pension, for example, um, and you might have spent your whole life being, you know, really conscious uh, and concerned around sustainability and climate. But for your whole career, it may well have been invested in Shell, BP, um, in companies that are expanding oil and gas fields um, and really contradicting your values. So we're trying to sort of raise awareness around that and, and change it. Finance is one of the biggest biggest things that we can do without, I guess, as individuals doing much other than making some smarter choices and more informed choices, but also for organisations, isn't it? That's where the big changes can happen, can't they, if organisations get behind this. Are you seeing a, a sort of flow of organisations, a, a groundswell of organisations actually taking the time to understand uh, where they select uh, their pensions now? Yeah, so we are definitely seeing a positive change. Um, and we, you know, we've seen, we've got our, one of our own initiatives is the Green Pensions Charter, where huge businesses and we've got the likes of IKEA and EY all the way down to really small sort of local, local small businesses, um, sort of committing to start their green pensions journey. They're still a long way off. Mm. And what we're finding is, you know, companies spend, huge sums of money on these like glittering sustainability strategies but then the investments of their company pension scheme are likely funding your big fossil fuel giants and sort of driving the climate crisis um so we think that like all of the efforts you know really risk being undermined we did some research earlier this year um that showed that i think it was less than 10 percent of the FTSE 100 um are actually like mentioned sustainability pensions at all within their sustainability strategy, despite having, you know, these reams and reams of documents on their websites about all of the efforts that they're they're making to decarbonize and transition. Um, so we're seeing some positive steps. We're seeing some businesses start to either switch to sustainable pension providers. Like we saw Ella's Kitchen um, recently go on that journey and they spoke about that publicly. Um, but, you know, there's still a long way to go. And we'd love to see sort of your major companies, your FTSE 100, your listed companies that really lead the way on that and recognize that like where they're keeping their, their money is having a huge impact. What, what 
what do you think stopping them from change? Is it is it a lack of education? Is it a lack of understanding? I mean, I suppose the majority of people don't really think about where my pension is invested. It's not. I suppose it's not a a question on in everybody's minds. Is it? What what, what do you think when you're speaking to these organisations around onboarding them and getting them aware of? the Green Pensions Charter and, and getting on board, where what's the tension? So we've done some research around this and I think it's very much sort of, it showed very much what you just said there. So there's a huge awareness problem, even among CEOs and C-suite executives in the UK. It's around half have no idea that their company pension scheme could be driving climate change. And, you know, this isn't your standard man on the street. These are senior people who work yeah. for either big corporates or big organizations. Um, so the first point is an awareness problem. When we've done further research, we've also found that um, there is a, a bureaucratic sort of element to it you know businesses want to be agile and they have they're facing faced with big organizational issues on a daily basis and it can be perceived to be hassle Mm -hmm. um and then the individual sort of awareness point also feeds into it so because awareness although it has hugely increased among savers and the general public is still not as high as it could be then you know employers aren't necessarily getting the pressure that they could be receiving from their employees to like make them change um so i think there's a lot of sort of legacy barriers in place um but I'm, i'm i'm confident that over time that that is going to change it's a bit like it's a bit apathetic isn't it we say apathy is one of the biggest barriers to change isn't it I was I was listening to debates around you know why people don't move their savings round enough on the basis that you know they, they just leave them there and and even yeah. even though the interest rates are all over the place and they're chopping and changing the banks aren't really under any pressure to to do anything purely because people general public society Aren't, aren't aren't making those those decisions, which I guess kind of shows that if there was suddenly this big movement of individuals and collective action amongst individuals to go to their organisations and, and inquire about this and find out where pensions are and also you know start moving things around and making decisions based on being more informed, it might have it will work as as according to your website. You know, it, it's one of it is the biggest thing that we can start doing, isn't it, to drive to drive progress in this area? Yeah, so um, we did some research around about two years ago now where we tried to, well, we did sort of um, estimate the positive impact that greening your pension can have um, when compared to the day-to-day lifestyle changes that many of us are making to live more sustainably. And we uncovered with a sustainability research house called Route 2 um, that greening your pension is actually 21 times more impactful than um, going veggie, stopping flying and switching to a renewable energy provider combined. Now that might seem like an out there figure. But if you think about it like this, you know, it's absolutely, we're not saying don't do those things. We absolutely should all be taking like individual responsibility. But if your whole pension, if you, if your pension scheme, if you lobby your pension scheme to go green and it starts to effectively decarbonize, that's not just on behalf of you. That's on behalf of likely thousand members that's on behalf of millions maybe possibly billions of of pounds um so the collective impact of like this more systemic change is just so so powerful um and it's almost like honoring the efforts that you're you're making your day-to-day life um sort of in the back office yeah and it's interesting because i i had one of those 
baby bond type things for my children when, you know, when they were born and it was, you could put so much money into it and the government, uh, you know, there were certain restrictions around the tax elements. And, and, and then I, when my daughter, other daughter was born, she was a bit older and I could do the same. And, and when, and these things have grown and grown and, and I suppose it's not a pension, but it's another investment. And I, I queried and I said, yeah, hang on a minute. What, what is this invested in? You know, I don't want to be putting money into this. It, what is it? That are these sustainable investments? And it was interesting that, that, you know, this was this was a big investment house that, that, that they, they were with and they didn't have options for me to switch it to sustainable investments, which, you know, in in this kind of decade seems unbelievable. So my my kind of remit to them was, well, then it needs to stop because I don't mm. want to be investing in something that isn't sustainable. And um, and they, oh, yeah, but we've got a scheme coming on in 2024 and such and such and such is changing. And it's kind of like, that's well, not good enough. So is there enough mm. choice for people? So I am slightly surprised to hear, because not typically if you have a private investment fund or a self-invested pension or some sort of, you're with a big, Hat like investment house, they can tailor your portfolio. We've seen like this ESG sector explode recently, and there's a lot of like criticism yeah. and greenwashing and dangerous sort of pitfalls around it. But typically, I think you will be able to craft yourself a portfolio. However, I, in terms of choice for like the standard person who maybe doesn't have access to that level of, you know, financial advice or financial you know, fund management capabilities, the choice is pretty low and pretty limited. The majority of people are, their savings don't really go beyond their workplace pension that they're auto-enrolled into, comes out of their salary pre-tax every month. Um, So I definitely don't think the choice is readily accessible enough. You know, it's not... um, it's not communicated in non-jargonistic language and that can be really alienating. And especially for the average person, like we know that levels of financial literacy are quite low, um, even in really, really developed countries like the UK. Um, and, you know, most people are in these, like, as you said earlier, these sort of like apathetic inertia ridden environments where they're just enrolled into a scheme and then they don't think about it again. So there's just a huge um, work to be done there. There's also the risk of a lot of these companies that are offering like big investment houses with ESG options. Personally, I would say ESG isn't an option. It's not a nice to have. It shouldn't be that you should, it should be across your whole portfolio. Your, your default investment funds should be sustainable. We should be looking to move away from fossil fuels from an environmental perspective, of course. And we all know that, but also because as we look to transition and we need to do it sharpish by by say t- over in a short period of time fossil fuel companies ideally shouldn't exist in their current form yeah. and therefore they will become a stranded asset so um i think a lot of the esg um options that are out there run the risk of falling into the greenwashing part that is obviously quite from a marketing perspective um you know really really useful and fruitful for for big investment houses and big financial giants so in short no i don't think there's enough choice but importantly i don't think the choice is transparent enough or communicated clearly enough for people to really understand what they're working with so i guess that leads me on to my next question of how, how do we commute how do we get this communication out there whose role is it to get this communication out there and start talking about it i guess you've got the communication to individuals uh, so that they can either lobby from the ground up or they can try and push, you know, and make more informed choices themselves. And then you've got 
the communications to organizations and those those senior people who you know can start to to ask the right questions and make the right decisions how do we other than obviously all the brilliant communications make my money matter does and and your and your you know your campaigns and stuff how do we take this further so i think in general communication climate change is really tricky it has the the lot of the literature and information out there is like super jargonistic and that excludes firstly your day-to-day saver who doesn't really know how to interact with it in a meaningful way and then also it can be you know if you work in say the hr um team of like a major corporate it can be quite daunting you're making huge financial decisions on behalf of your staff about where what pension scheme they opt for and you know if those options aren't spelled out clearly to you that can pose a really big problem so i think when you know we've got these different audiences so we have let's say industry speaking to those ceos that can make like big change at a high in business level then you've got government where we really really need to see more like regulation intervention mandating from them to help businesses who can't do it on their own and then you have speaking to the individual i think across the board but particularly for the individual standpoint we need to make it more accessible so something we've done a lot of at the campaign is try and tell this story in like a language that everyone can understand so we recently did a short film with kit harrington and rose from game of thrones um, which was sort of a spoof on bbc couples therapy where we had one playing the bank one playing the pension fund um and they you know sort of hash it out and you'd learn halfway through there's sort of a drop and you see that actually you know the conversation's really about the fact that the husband is greenwashing and really he's giving her billions and he feels ashamed of her and we thought that like really told the story in a way that's like human accessible and anyone watching it can engage and understand um so we that's something we strive to do then when it comes to like launching a report, let's say, if we're doing something a little bit more industry-led or industry-focused, we might want to, we've done some great reports again with Route 2, where we've looked into the carbon exposure of the UK pensions industry. So about two years ago, we, I think it was about 100, 330 billion tonnes of carbon we estimated were enabled to enter our atmosphere via the investments of, of UK pension schemes. And we tried to communicate that again. Definitely in a more technical language, but still in terms that like anyone reading it who, you know, has a a level of just like interest will be able to digest that information and not feel turned off by, you know, really jargonistic language that nobody really understands what it means. I've heard things like, you know, commit to net zero, be communicated, like commit to 1.5 degree aligned, no offshoot, low carbon scenario. Like the average person on the street who just wants to live more sustainably, they don't know what that means. They yeah. they, sh- they shut their brain off. So yeah. um, I'm definitely a big believer in like simplifying the message. Um, in terms of tactics, you know, with government, we've tried to do a lot of open letters. So we assembled an open letter that we wrote to um, the sort of, this was more actually industry focused, but our aim in this is to try and get government to pay attention to what we're doing. Yeah. Um, was to the big five CEOs of HSBC, Barclays, Santander, NatWest, and Lloyd's, asking them to stop financing new oil and gas 
fields, so new direct projects. And we had signatories from the likes of obviously Richard, our founder, to Stephen Fry, to Emma Thompson, but then to like Christiana Figueres, who's the architect of the Paris Climate Agreement, Um, Greenpeace, you know, a real sort of hodgepodge of people to mount pressure on those banks, generate some media coverage, um, and then hopefully like turn the heads of like relevant officials in, in, in government too. Um, and we've done a lot of like direct advocacy work with them. We've worked with Alok Sharma on some um, at, like work around deforestation. Um, and, you know, we'd like to see more, I think, from government because with their intervention, it will make everything easier for everyone else. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point around the decarbonisation piece and regulation because there is regulation there are there are requirements of organizations to meet net zero targets mm-hmm. and and okay you know the joe public may not understand what those terms are but those those ceos those leaders those c suite in those organizations understand that there are boundaries now within which they need to be operating and it would seem that switching the pension and your investments and the clearing that out and cleaning that up is a no-brainer. I mean, yeah. if you're talking about that level of carbon being exposed as part of in the UK pensions, then you know any organisation thinking about how do we decarbonise, um, let's look at what we do and let's prioritise, it would seem that that is an absolute no-brainer to support their net zero targets. And given that there is increasing pressure to decarbonise, you would think that everybody would be knocking on your door to say, help us. Yeah, I think we, so we have had, you know, without being too disparaging, we have had lots of engagement from, from big companies on this. And I think they are taking it seriously. Um, I think the pensions industry has had to adapt a little bit. Most of the big five, like, let's say your likes of like Aviva and Scottish Widows and Nest, they have taken, you know, really big steps to work on making their default portfolios more green and importantly they've started using their voice at AGM season to essentially vote in a certain way so you know you often hear from pension schemes and this is likely what they tell employers and businesses when they contact them and ask them well we're engaging with our investee companies to make them um, transition to help them reach net zero and it's kind of like sometimes well what does that look like well last week we saw um, or early this month um, at the Shell AGM. So we saw Nest and USS and several other pension schemes vote against directors yeah. at the company and vote against their energy transition report, um, which essentially says this will do X, Y, Z to decarbonize or we are doing that. And that is, we would say it's not aligned at all with the net zero scenario because it allows room for fossil fuel expansion. You can't build that. You can't like be aligned to Paris if you are, opening new oil and gas fields. So we've seen like schemes really start to use their voice and there, there are like a select few that are driving the sector forward. Um, and I hope that over time, and this is maybe, you know, where marketing could come in and probably not us as campaigners, this probably wouldn't be our space, but you know, this is where if you are doing good and importantly, only if you are doing good, you know, the marketing departments of these like massive companies that better schemes that are doing better you know should be majoring on that as like a usp yeah. our founder richard always says you know let's say when you graduate from university no sort of young uni graduate in the uk should ever have to invest in fossil fuels given that they are going to be living for the next 
seven, eight decades, and they may feel the effects of climate change more than any of us. Um, and, you know, that's something that the marketing, like when you're auto enrolled into that first pension scheme, like in all of their literature and their interaction with members, like schemes that are doing well and that do take it seriously should be majoring on that. And I think those that that do take it seriously and can credibly prove that they are taking it seriously actually could do it a little bit more. And there's obviously a lot of nerves around greenwashing and to the point where I think we're seeing a bit of green hushing where people don't want to talk about what they're doing, um, which is probably like more this direction you should err towards. But I think like your likes of Ness, for example, and your likes of Scott, like Scottish Widows and Aviva that, that have made good policy changes, like they they want, they should keep pushing it and keep pushing it. That's not to say they're perfect. Um, and that's also not to say we're recommending them because we can't recommend schemes because we are um campaign group. But yeah, I think there's a there's a big role there. So in terms of marketers, individuals, you know, who work for organizations, what what sort of questions should should they be asking within their organisations if they, you know, they want to, uh, I guess, start to drive some change? Um, and, and what do they need? What do they need to find out? I think the first and most important one is is what I'm marketing actually green, like one hundred and one. The most important question, especially for people to have trust in the sector. And, you know, see that the sector has some integrity. So that would be my first question. And then I think the second question would be, how can we communicate this to our members or to our customers? We're majoring a bit more on pensions, but let's say we're talking about banks. How can we communicate this to our, you know, customers and members in language that they can understand that is accurate, but that, you know, isn't alienating, that gives the detail it needs, that isn't, you know, jargonistic and waffly and and sort of unclear. And how can we present the benefit to our members beyond just this is good for the planet, you know, how can we tell them that, you know, we see the direction of travel around fossil fuels, not only being an environmental risk, but also a financial risk because these companies are going to change and they're not going to offer the same sort of resources that they do now. How can we present that too in a way that also isn't dangerous and doesn't like, you know, veer into sort of dodgy things around money? Um yeah, because the cost of the living crisis, I mean, where we are now in terms of energy prices, everything is linked, you know, everything is interconnected. And I think if more marketers can ask the right questions within their organisations and then internal communications goes out within those organisations and more employees understand it, then you'd like to think those employees would go home and start talking about it to their friends and family who would then start going and talking about it in their organizations. And then it would just proliferate, wouldn't it, through throughout. Yeah. And hopefully we'd get more people asking those very questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, being really aware as well of the context that we're operating in is also really important for, important for those working in marketing in these organizations because it does change the tone and it does mean that, you know, you, it's not that we need to reposition, but we need to be sensitive and think about like the reality of where we are. I think with cost of living, you know, a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of nervousness around the green agenda now because, you know, can we afford it? Can the average person really afford to think about this when we all just want to like weather the obscenely high energy bills? Um, but then I think, you know, for example, that's another area where there's such an opportunity for communication what what if anything what the cost of living crisis and obviously the the ukraine invasion and the, the effect it has had sadly 
not only on all those lives, but also on, you know, the economy globally, is that oil and gas is volatile. It's long been volatile and it will continue to be volatile. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really... Uh, you know the 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 rebuttals you often hear from from financial giants and from oil and gas giants around well offers us more energy security. You could argue that actually it doesn't, and no. transitioning to renewable energy would be a far more sustainable, long term, durable, you know, way out of this crisis that we should start investing in now for yep. a plethora of reasons. Yep. Um, and that's something that I haven't seen really been effectively communicated yet and it's like a huge given the context of where we're at it's a huge opportunity and I would love to see more of that from the from from those working in marketing in the financial sector yeah I mean we listen in to the outrage and optimism podcast and other podcasts but you know it's almost like you're in that bubble and everybody's saying the same thing but the message isn't getting out and that Mm. is you know hence why we have can marketing save the planet to call on marketers to say come on, you know, if you're in these roles, if you've got this responsibility, what more can we be doing? How can we be changing the narrative, changing the story and and showcasing a more sustainable future? Uh, Because what we're doing now, you know, we need to be exponential in the way that we start to operate, not in this linear, well, that's what we've been doing and let's carry on. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity for marketing and communications in this space to be driving a different narrative. That's a lot about what we talk about. But there's also this requirement of practical action. So that once we've got that narrative going, how do people take action? How are they compelled to take action? If if you were giving our listeners one piece of advice around what they can do to take action, what would it be? Well, I would say go to our website and <laughs> find your pension fund in just a couple of clicks. Yeah. You can locate your pension funds and ask them in an email to make sure they are like committed to good net zero. They're going to be using their voice AGM season. It will, it will, we will auto generate an email that will go to them. Um, the reason why we direct people first to that action and not immediately to switching is that even though there are some, you know, amazing existing sustainable pensions out there, they, they currently, it's a very, very small number of people yeah. who switch. And actually the infrastructure isn't quite there to facilitate a mass switching movement. Um, and given that there's 3 trillion in UK pensions yeah. and 50 trillion in the banking, uh, 50 trillion globally, 3 trillion UK pensions and 150 trillion in the global banking sector, really the power is getting those guys to change. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that we don't deter people from switching. We absolutely support people, people who, you know, immediately just don't want to be banking with a bank that finances fossil fuels. Of course, switch to your likes of if you want, you know, there are some banks we can't give advice, but Pellot Bank and Triodos. Yeah, yeah Google yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Google world's most sustainable banks and it will come up. Yeah. <laughs> Gemma and I did that when we were setting up Can Marketing Save the Planet. It wasn't easy, was it, Jen? It wasn't easy, you know, and that was, you know, we we found that frustrating. It was a case of why is this so difficult to want to make the right choice? For a business account, it was was trickier for a business account. For personal accounts, it's it's simpler. It's super easy. Yeah. But business accounts are, yeah, I think this is where and what is and something obviously I lead on press and comms and in my conversation with the media, I've heard from a few of them what they think would be so powerful would be if we could get, you know, we see say Patagonia, the amazing news that we had from their CEO earlier this year, you know, if Patagonia did a public pledge and said, we are switching 
to X bank that doesn't finance fossil fuels, that would just spark such a, like, we would hope that would like really spark its peers, a movement to do yeah. the same. Yeah. And it is, it is harder to find a business account. Um, the infrastructure again is, is not quite where it needs to be. Yeah. Whereas if you're an individual with the current account switching service, yeah. you can do it in two clicks. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of frustrating. I mean, one of the things Gemma and I often, you know, come back to with regards to choices uh, for people is that, you know, it's difficult often for people to make the right choice. They're not, we don't trust it's the most sustainable choice. You know, there's a lot of research mm. that needs to go in. People are concerned about greenwashing. And is that true? You know, there are how many labels are there? How many posturing of positions are there? You know, so it's kind of like, which one should I go for? Is it really? And and really the responsibility of organizations in this space should be to take the choice away so that there is no negative choice. I mean, why yeah. would there be? Why would there be? If we're all moving towards a sustainable future where we're all taking care of each other, why would there be bad choices? But But we're in this period of transition aren't we mm -hmm. yeah we absolutely are and I just completely agree with what you're saying like that's such a great way to put it you know there shouldn't be negative choices the default should be super sustainable super green and then the best practice should be almost you know impact-led options so yeah. whether that's you know you want to invest in a investment fund that um you know, is specifically taught, it's looking to create impact in a certain way, whether exactly. that's like vaccine water schemes security. or social housing, yeah. water yeah. security. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's, there's, that's, that's really like what best practice should look like. We are transitioning, you know, we're not going to get there tomorrow. I think it does need to happen at a much quicker pace yeah, we than need it is to get now. There pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, we're meant to have emissions by 2030. We're in 2023, seven years off. And I think most companies reporting and, and globally, you know, we're not trending to, to be doing that anytime yeah. soon. So that's where, you know, the government piece is really important. And yeah. that's where they can help businesses on their way. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. We've got a bit of a mountain to climb, but we'll keep going. We'll keep climbing. We'll all keep pushing and do it, doing our bit and, um, and, and trying to step kind of drive a more sustainable future. Um, so, Holly... We love to ask our guests the same three questions at the end of every podcast. So our first question to you is, can marketing save the planet? So, and I hope, I, I suppose, I don't know if I'm supposed to say yes, but I, I you think... You can say what you want. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Be honest. I, honestly, I don't think it can do it on its own. Um, I think it's super important and it's a really useful tool along the way. But I think marketing can be, unfortunately, a force for like great good, but also it can be a force for bad and it can fall, you know, in weaponized in the wrong hands. Yeah. Um, you know, if with by corporations without bad, without good intentions, you know, we, we're not ever all going to be aligned. So I think it really is a tool along the way. Um, I think to accelerate the transition, we need government involvement, we need more regulatory involvement that will make it easier for businesses to go, do good, but also like importantly prevent like those with more sinister interests from maybe positioning themselves as green. And then that will allow marketeers to do their job in a you know, more in in a way that is in a way shows more integrity because yeah. if something is being marketed as green, you know, the regulatory body should be making sure that yeah. it is green before it goes out there. Yeah. And and we champion marketers to ask those inconvenient and uncomfortable questions around is yeah. what I'm marketing green, you know? Not just being given the brief and getting on with it and running with it, but to be curious, to be courageous and to not sit on their hands, but to question. 
is this the right way that we should be doing this? How do I feel about this, you know, um, given uh, once they're educated and aware about this bigger piece? So that's our, our absolute mission and the focus of our manifesto that marketers need to take a whole lot more responsibility about yeah. the role that they play in whatever they're communicating and and sharing out into the world. So 100% with you on that, Holly. Okay, so our next question to you then is, what do you hope business looks like in 10 years' time? So I really hope business looks... I hope we see more business following the footsteps of your likes of Patagonia and you might have seen Riverford the other week. So either, yeah, so great, like directing their profits to climate change causes or moving towards employee ownership. Yeah. Yeah, and I would just like to see a trend um, where a business sort of looking at how it can make our capitalist structure less harmful for people and planet. And I think if we can spark that movement, it will just help us transition at, at the pace required, you know, with an enthusiasm and an approach that is, is appropriate for like the climate crisis that we face and and the effect it's going to have on sort of human beings and human rights. Yeah. And finally, if you were to give one piece of advice, I know you gave one piece of advice earlier when Michelle jumped the gun and asked the question, but if you were to give another piece of advice around getting started with uh, green greening your pensions and talking about it, what would it be? Um, well, I guess it's quite similar to what I said earlier, speak in a language everyone can understand, um, avoid jargon, don't exclude the average citizen. Remember, like someone said to me recently, you know, I was writing up a press release, they were like, it was a more, it was a more tricky, um, it was a more tricky technical piece. And I just thought, imagine you're telling your mum. Mm. like how would she hear this and that's not just like just all that not even your mum just like anyone who's just not got a background in climate they sort of apathetically care about climate change like many of us do you know they think it's bad and they want to do something different um and you know write it out in a text if you can before you put it into copy um so that would be one of them the, not not by not foregoing accuracy but I think that's probably like my 101 yeah. like main thing the devil is in the detail but I think we need to include everyone in the in the fight we really do and the curse of knowledge is real you know you think because especially when you're in this climate bubble and you're talking about things you assume that everybody understands what you're talking about you know somebody asked me the other day what is greenwashing you know we were talking about communications and greenwashing in in a webinar and you know you know good for her she put her hand straight up and said what is greenwashing uh, and we just assume, oh, everybody knows about this now, mm-hmm. you know, and what we're talking about. And they're looking at the press and they're looking at the... But of course, if it's not your world, you're not, you know. No. And, and so you're absolutely right. Keep it simple. Keep it relatable. What matters to the person that you're talking about? And how can you start a conversation that is meaningful and relatable? Yeah, I mean... We had a similar conversation the other week in our team. We were trying to ascertain, we think that actually across the UK, I don't think many people know, really know what fossil fuel means. No. You know, and we use it willy nilly. You see it in every article that you read on The Guardian or any news outlet about fossil fuels. People know what oil and gas means. That's why I've been really leaning into saying oil and gas more recently than fossil fuels, because actually you know, it does take a degree of knowledge and you just get in your own echo chamber, yeah, really. Um, and you have to check yourself regularly. Yeah, you absolutely do. So Holly, how can people find out more about the work you guys do? So go over to our website, you'll find 
our latest film with Kit and Rose, and that should give you a good feel for our new banking campaign. Um, you'll find loads of information. You'll find all the actions that you can take to either contact your pension provider or contact the CEOs of HBC, Barclays, NatWest, Lloyds and Santander, and ask them to stop financing fossil fuel expansion. Um, and yeah, check out our Instagram, which is just MMM Money Matter. Um, and Twitter, uh, give us a follow. We've got lots of really exciting things in the pipeline for this year. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. Our YouTube's Fantastic. got some great informative stuff on. Fantastic. Well, we will make sure all of those links and all of those action points are firmly embedded within the show notes and in any promos that we do to get as many people engaged and on board um, doing our bit as much as we can to help um, share the good word. So thank you so much, Holly, for joining us. Um, it's been really useful learning more about the work that you're doing and the progress. Uh, it gives me a lot of hope, actually, when you talk about those numbers and the size of that and what can be done. So um Great. Money talks, right? Money talks. It does. It really does. <laughs> so if we can get that moving, um, that's powerful. 